Good morning. Good to be together today. We're continuing in our sermon series focusing on the hope of heaven. And today we are here to talk about resurrected work. I thought about this topic, I, uh, I thought back on a friend of mine in North Carolina. He's a friend that we used to spend a fair amount of time together. We would frequently go to lunch together. We would talk about Jesus and his word. One particular day, uh, I got together with my friend, and as he approached me, I could tell that something was not right. There was a there was a heaviness, a, a sadness to him. I, I asked him what was going on, what was causing him to struggle. And as I talked to him, as I asked him, he, he confessed to me that he had been thinking about heaven. And as he thought about heaven, he confessed that he had this notion that he would spend eternity as a wispy spirit in one long eternal church service. And he confessed he thought that sounded boring. <laughs> you relate? Do you wonder what you will do in heaven? Do you wonder what you will do for eternity? The new earth? Does the fear of boredom stir within you a rising sense of disinterest in Jesus. You're not alone. You're not alone. That day when my friend shared with me what was on his heart, I began to talk to him about the promise of a tangible, physical, redeemed new earth where we will enjoy Jesus' body, <laughs> where we will enjoy the blessing of redeemed, fulfilling, creative work. So I began to talk to my friend about the biblical vision of the new earth. I could see his countenance changing before my eyes. It was as if this was what he had hoped for all along, but no one had ever told us. Now, I don't know all that the Lord was doing in my friend through that conversation, but in the 15 years since, I have seen a marked change, a transformation in his life. heard the good news of the gospel through the good news of what Jesus has in store for us. I hope and pray that today, as you hear the good news of what Jesus has in store for us, that you would hear the good news of Jesus. Today we're going to hear that good news in terms of resurrected work we've been doing throughout this sermon series. We're going to look to various passages throughout Scripture, but we're going to begin at the beginning. 
Because as we seek to explore what will the new heavens and the new earth be like and what will we do in them, we must go to God's original design. We're going to look to Genesis 1 and 2 in our opening. Before we do, please pray for us. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. You are abundant in your creative power and might and just wisdom of what you have designed us for and have in store for us is too wonderful to comprehend, but we do pray that on this day you would give us a glimpse that through it we might not merely get a glimpse of work redeemed, but that we would get a glimpse of our Redeemer. You show us Jesus this day. In his name we pray. Amen. As I said, friends, I will open up with Genesis 1. Verses 26 through 28 and Genesis 2.15, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, the word of the Lord. If we're to get a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth, we must go back to paradise. We must go back to the original creation before the creation was stained by sin. There we see God's design for mankind. Created man, male and female, he created them. In his image, to image him. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? My children on some level look like me, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about resembling God in terms of eye color and facial features. We are talking about being like God. God created man and woman, all mankind, to be like Him, to be set apart from the rest of creation. As you walk through the days of Genesis 1, the days of creation, you see God's intentionality in creating all things, but there is something unique about His creation of mankind. Mankind is set apart from the entirety of creation to be distinct. And that means mankind is of infinite worth. Not because of what we do, but because of whose image we're created in. And therefore, we have 
a glorious heritage. We're created in His image with with rational minds and souls so that we can know Him relationally. But we're also created in His image to image Him. To serve as His agents. His his stewards over the creation. And we see this work and some of the particulars of that work in what is referred to as the cultural mandate. We we read it there in in Genesis 1 and and in Genesis 2. What did you hear? You, I hope, heard this call for image bearers to bear His image by filling the earth. By subduing it and having dominion over it. But what does that mean? I had a laugh as we were planning worship this week. Michael's a bit ahead of me and will always remain ahead of me. And multiplication, if multiplying is merely measured, he's probably ahead of me in a lot of other ways too, but uh, specifically in the number of children he has. Uh, Yes. Filling the earth is part talking about babies, but it is so much more than bearing children. To fill the earth is to fill the earth with children. It is to fill the earth with produce. It is to fill the earth with work. It is to create culture, to build buildings, to grow gardens, to create works of art and of beauty. All of that is encapsulated in God's command to be fruitful and multiply. God commands His image bearers to go forth and create. In all of our creative labor. But also to subdue the earth. To have dominion over it. Now what might that have looked like in paradise? Well, the earth was a raw material. The Lord created this raw material, but He calls man to shape it. To form it. To create out of that raw material. This is to sow, to subdue, seek. Is this call to bring order out of chaos. Take the raw dirt and to create a garden. And to have dominion is to reign as God's stewards over plant life, over animal life, and as the population grows over civilization. This was the work that God gave mankind, and it was good. It was to be enjoyable, it was to be fulfilling. And so God placed Adam in the garden to give him his start. So we came to Genesis 2.15 and we heard there some of the markers of this work in the garden. It was to work it and to keep it. To work is to cultivate, to, to cause things to grow. That is, those are the elements of multiplying, of filling. But then to keep is to guard or protect. It is 
capturing those elements of, of subduing, of taking dominion. Let's think about that in terms of the garden. Have you gardened? What is gardening like? It's not a, a quick fix and move on to the next thing type of work. No, gardening is, is long term. It's involved. Your hands in the soil. That work of gardening is a work that's intentional. It's tangible. It's physical. It's a work that is meant to be steadfast. There in the garden, Adam was to do this with God. You see, in paradise, Adam and and Eve, they lived in an unhindered relationship with God. The work that they performed was to be a work performed with God, enjoying Him. That is what we are made for. Beautiful. But if you've read Genesis chapter 3, or quite frankly, if you've lived on this earth, you know that it did not last. See, if that's what work was designed to be, how do we experience work now? Genesis 3 describes the fall. The fall of man, the fall of mankind into sin. And on the heels of the fall, sin has stained All of creation, and creation has been groaning ever since. Scripture tells us with the pains of childbirth, those pains of childbirth are pains of anticipation, but we anticipate because the creation is groaning with the pains of death. So as a result of their sin, Adam and Eve's sin, the sin that we inherit and the sin that we embrace, God pronounced a curse. Tellingly, please don't miss this. The curse was not pronounced on Adam and Eve. Of the three creatures present then, the serpent was the only one who was cursed. For man and woman, they were not cursed, but vital elements of their existence were For the woman, the curse was proclaimed relationally. The man is included in that curse. But for the man, the woman is included in his curse. Uh, It was proclaimed vocationally. We look to Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you will You were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. A few weeks ago, our 
small group gathered together on a Sunday evening, and as we were preparing to to leave from that small group gathering and go back to our own homes, one of the members uh, spoke of the Sunday dread. Do you know the Sunday dread? It's not a dread of Sunday. It's a dread of Monday. This, this pain hits your gut that grows throughout the day on Sunday. You anticipate what is to come. We know this curse that God placed, not on Adam, but on the ground and on our work. And we feel it in our work week. We feel it on Sundays in the anticipation of the week to come. And so, with that in mind, maybe you're beginning to feel that pain in the pit of your gut. Is, is resurrected work what you were hoping for? Is the antidote to boredom in the new earth? Actually not. For many of us. Why is that? I had a friend of mine this week made a profound statement when when she said that most of us live our lives between Genesis 3 and Revelation 20. Most of of us live our lives by practically ignoring four vital chapters of Scripture. And when we live excluding from our lives the hope of Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 live apart from the beauty of creation and glory. But God's story didn't begin in Genesis 3. God's story didn't begin with the fall. It began with creation and it ends with glory. But along the way, God gives us glimpses of what is beyond. You actually find one of those glimpses in Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, verses 1 through 6, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carrying wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with, with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. It's a profound picture that God gifted these men with the gift of craftsmanship and artistic beauty. And what did he give them? Or rather, who did he give them to ensure that they would do this work as he designed it? He gave them himself. 
He gave them His Spirit there in the heart of the Old Testament. We see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God coming upon these men that they might fulfill their God-given task to create beauty. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the resurrected body. And what do we say about the resurrected body? That it is a spiritual body. And we said, we clarified, that doesn't mean that we will be wispy Casper-like ghosts. No, we said that the resurrected, tangible, physical body will be animated by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We resist the Spirit. We, we don't hear the Spirit fully here in this life, but in glory. Leading by the Holy Spirit will be complete. And we get a glimpse of that in Exodus 31 when God... God filled these men with the Spirit of God that they might create beautiful things. Glimpse of resurrected work and we miss it because we pass by Exodus 31 far too quickly. We pass by Exodus 36 and 39 far too quickly because we think it's tedious to read about the tabernacle and about the priest's garments. But do yourself a favor. Your homework assignment is to go this afternoon and read Exodus 36 through 39. See that God is in the details. And that in the details, our God is a God of beauty. And we bear His image when we work to create beauty. That is a glimpse that we have of work now, that points us to what we will do for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. But embedded in those glimpses of work as it is designed is also a call. Matthew 25, 21, a little snippet of Jesus' parable of the talents as he, as he speaks to uh, the the servant who did well with his five talents, Jesus says there, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It's a little snippet. But it reminds us that in the glimpses there is a call. And the call tells us, it reminds us, that our work in the now matters for the then. The way we steward our gifts, the way we go about our work now, it will impact. What we will be entrusted with then. Friends, in this sermon series, we've been trying to present the glories of heaven. But we're not doing that so that we will neglect the presence. In our house, we have a weighted blanket. Over sat laid under a weighted blanket 
It's like returning to the womb. This, this cocoon of comfort and peace and sweetness. And on a hard day, it can be tempting to go lay under that weighted blanket and just hide from all of the bad stuff out there. Paul, in our lives, is not a call to lay under the weighted blanket until we can get to glory. The call in our lives is to fight back the curse. The call in our lives is to inhabit this world as kingdom agents. The call in our lives is to have a redemptive view of work as good now. So what does that look like? offer a couple of examples it looks like creating beauty using our god given gifts this pulpit these tables this baptismal font created by craftsmen who use their gifts to glorify god and to bless this church the much of the furniture in this building was created by you the works of art on the walls are created by you Looks like offering our time and our and our gifts to the ministry of tapestry that we might redeem the arts in our community. It, it looks like those of you who offer your time to prepare this place of worship, whether that's cleaning up the place or whether it's preparing communion. It looks like those of you who use your gifts of administration to bring order out of chaos. By making a beautiful, glorious spreadsheet. That's what it looks like to see beauty in our work and to work for beauty. That is what it means to see the call of God on our lives to bear His image now. But it's not just in the things that you do to serve the church. The things you do to Steward the gifts God has given you to work for His glory in all of life. Perhaps by seeking redemptive relationships in the workplace. Ultimately, fighting back the curse is a work of stewardship. Stewarding our gifts, but also stewarding creation. Rule and subdue does not mean to run roughshod over creation. From a biblical perspective, we're called to bear His image as wise stewards, as trustees over creation. Sometimes in our, our politicized worldviews, we seem to separate out the conservationists from the conservatives. We jumble things up. And confuse stewarding creation as worshiping creation or acting out of fear. When we consider the new heaven and new earth and our call to serve as agents of redemption on this earth, then shouldn't we consider stewarding creation as redemptive work? So this framework, we are called to fight back the curse. 
among other ways, by creating beauty and through our work of wise stewardship. Consider this, we've, we've looked back to work pre-curse. Consider what it means to fight back the curse. But what about looking ahead to the future? To the future of work redeemed. We go to one of those often neglected chapters of Scripture, Revelation 22. There I put before you verse 3. New heaven and a new earth. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. No longer will there be anything accursed. Can you imagine? We grow numb to the all-pervasive reality of sin. I recently got a new pair of sunglasses, polarized sunglasses, no less. You know what I was missing? You put those glasses on, everything I see sort of changes. I see it differently. And I do so because when I put those polarized sunglasses on, certain rays of light are blocked. Now, without those glasses, I don't know they're there. I live oblivious to those, those additional rays of light until I put on glasses and I see things differently. Sin stains our world, our work, our desires, our view of God, our view of self, all in ways that are so pervasive we do not even recognize them. At its core, sin, the sin that we will be freed of in the new heavens and the new earth, at its core, sin separates us from the intimacy of relationship with God. It is a cloud of self that covers everything. And as because of that cloud of self, we find ourselves running from God. But God. But God so loved this world, the people in this world, that he sent Jesus to die for us. So that whoever believes in him would not perish an everlasting death, but would live an everlasting life. And in his death, Jesus, the Son of God, took our sin on himself. In exchange, he gave us his perfect righteousness. A righteousness that is given by grace alone and that is received through faith alone in Christ our Savior. Therefore, in Christ, we have died to the power of sin. It has no power to condemn those who are in Christ. But here, on this earth, though we are freed from the power of sin, we still of its presence. Its indwelling presence as the old man still lives in us trying to get out. Its presence around us. But in glory. In glory. 
we will be freed from both the power of sin and the very presence of sin. Friends, that is the good news. And that good news of freedom from sin, both its power and its presence, impacts everything, including our work. In the context of our work, in glory, it will be a return to paradise. Only better. Only better because you see in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve, they had the ability to not sin, but they also had the ability to sin. For us, in glory, that will be gone. That will be gone. Can you imagine the impact on our work when we are finally free of the curse of sin? We can't know all of the details. We all want to know what we're going to do in glory. I want to be a cowboy. I'm working myself out of a job here, so i got to do something there. We want to know what those details are going to be like, but we don't have those details in Scripture. What we do have, though, is a framework to think about it. Derek Thomas, a pastor and theologian, has helped me think about it, but I agree with him that there in the new heavens and the new earth, our work will be marked by exploration and discovery. That will not be thing of the past it will be a thing redeemed who wants to explore and discover that will be part of our work in the new heaven the new earth so we'll learning our minds will continue to expand the new heavens and new earth our work of of learning and expansion will not be a do-over, will not be a start-over. We're not going to have to literally reinvent the wheel. We will stand on the foundation of work that has been performed. Only that work will be redeemed. And our imagination will be redeemed. Free of the limits and the taint of sin. We will create culture, works of art, civilizations, but it will be holy and redeemed and we will reign over it. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 tells us that if we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. I can't tell you what that means to reign with Christ in glory, but it means that you and I in Christ will reign over the creation, over civilization. Revelation 22.3 tells us more than that our work will be free of sin. And that takes me back to my friend's question. Our work will be worship. The ESV translates, Revelation 22.3, by saying that his servants will worship him. The word translated there is worship is used 21 times in the New Testament. 13 times it's translated in the context of worship. 8 times in the context of serving. 
Worship and serving are so intertwined that they are nearly interchangeable. It takes us back to the beginning. In Genesis 2.15, work and keep, two words in the Hebrew that are used together to describe worship. We see it in Exodus 25 and 6 and Deuteronomy 10. God created man and woman to experience him, and he placed him in the garden to work, and that work was our worship. It's a spoiler alert for where we're going next week as we explore redeemed worship. This is the glorious future of our worshipful work. Anticipate it, brothers and sisters, with excitement, but live now in light of it. Got to I'm sorry, this is taking a little long. Bear with me a couple of minutes because there is something we've got to land on. We talked about fighting back the curse. Friends, our work is burdensome for many reasons, but worst of all, because self is at the center of our work. I can't work without thinking about myself, without looking inward. Many of us talk about finding meaning in our work, and that is good and right and We see it in Scripture, but we must be careful with that notion because oftentimes when we think about finding meaning, we we look to self, we search for meaning with a self-focus. But I want you to think for just a moment about a time when when work has been a great joy for you. If you look back in, in your memory bank to think about when work was joyful, I would dare say, There's probably a time when you felt most fully alive, most fully yourself, but those were times when you were actually emptied of self. When you weren't concerned with yourself, but you were given completely over to a task. You are most fully alive when you are most fully captivated by something or someone. This is where we find meaning in our work. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will do our work with and in the presence of our great God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, lover, who has created us in his image to image him. Brothers and sisters, do not cut out Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. Consider your work through the fourfold lens of creation, fall, redemption, glory. It's the good news. In glory, we will work emptied of self and filled with the glory of God, captivated in His presence face to face. Father, your design is perfect and we can't grasp it because we are finite creatures but you have planted eternity in our hearts because there we will be with you in Christ so I pray today that as we consider our work we would seek and look to eternity with him fruitful worshipful eternity Jesus we pray in Christ's name